way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace." fascinates me about this passage is we're dead to sin, alive to Christ. But God sets up a pretty cool pattern here. What he says is he says, be and experience what Christ already is in position. So Christ already conquered death. So through, and this is fascinating to me even in Ephesians, it talks about what we have at our disposal as Christ followers. As Christ followers, you have the power of the Spirit the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You have resurrection power at your disposal. Okay, this isn't he's just leaving us out here, letting us walk through this sanctification journey on our own. Right? He gave us the power of the spirit to help us in this process as well. But recognize your experience, what he already is in position. Okay, then he also talks about the second step, We have the ability to refuse to let sin reign in our mortal body. We don't need to let sin sit there. We don't have to offer ourselves then as an instrument of wickedness. We have the ability, just like Tim said earlier, the choice to let sin get replaced, the power of it get replaced with the Spirit, which then allows us to offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness. And it's through that process of becoming more alive in Christ that sin begins to become less. The power of it becomes less. Look a couple verses later in 17 and 18. He says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He became, we become slaves of righteousness as we obey his teaching. The more obedience you express in your life as you get into the word and actually put it into action, you become a slave to righteousness, not a slave to wickedness. So the question I have for you today is, what are you offering yourself as? In your heart and in your mind, action will be produced. In your inner man, what are you offering yourself as? A slave to wickedness? Or a slave to righteousness. Flip over to Romans 8. I wanted to do a sword drill today. I didn't stand up and get to read, but I didn't think you'd appreciate that as much as me just reading it. <laughs> Maybe they're doing that in the back. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit, well, let's start in 15, because I love that. I love this verse. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 
So who we are, the last one, we're children of God. You're a co-heir. Recognize your position. Recognize your status. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are God's child. And we'll see why that matters later on even more, right? As he guards our heart as the Father. So we've talked a little bit about being a sin struggler, being a dead to Christ, or dead to sin, alive in Christ. We've talked about being a slave of righteousness, and now we recognize ourselves as a co-heir. So now what we really need to talk about is the stench of sin. Sin's a problem. What I want to try and get us to think about today is, do we see it as that big of a problem? I know oftentimes there's been times in my life where I deal with sin uh, flippantly. I might look at it with indifference. I might act, well, I ain't as bad as that guy. right? I might make comments to justify my sin, the sin that exists in me. And again, I'm missing the boat when I do that. Um, this sanctification process, by the way, doesn't get any easier the longer you walk it. Because here's what you're going to realize. The longer you're on the journey, the more frustrated and disgusted you are with sin in your life. Down to the very last one. <laughs> Till you're glorified, right? So what's interesting is that's why Paul, I think that's why Paul says it the way he says it. He could have been, who knows what he was thinking of when he wrote that. He could have been thinking of the most minuscule sin on the planet. But look at how serious he was taking it. He hated it. He hated doing what he didn't want to do. Do we enter sin looking at it like that? Hebrews uh, 12.1. Let's start getting this picture from Scripture. I'm going to beat you all because I got them all tabbed. I cheated. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Former slaves to a body of sin in six all the way to sin entangling us. It wraps us up. We can get entangled in it. Now check out verse 2. Verse 2 always takes me to one of my favorite hymns. And it's pretty cool to, to come walking up here off of a hymn. Verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. If I was more confident, I don't want to sing it to you, but I'll spare you that until the next time I have the four ladies with me as wonderful background music. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So sin's a problem, but there's a solution. Right? I love how, how God does that in Scripture. Flip over to Matthew. Matthew 15. 
I'm hoping you're starting to see how Scripture is leading us this morning. Matthew 15, 18 to 20. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. From out of the heart. You know, we can hide that for a while. We can hide what's in our heart for a while. But it's interesting because it may just be short-fused anger, jealousy, lying, gossip. Who knows what it could be, right? What, what are we harboring in our heart? What sin do we allow just to kind of sit there? We haven't really dealt with it yet. We're hiding it. You know, we can, we can hide it for a while. But it's, you know, I'm going to get to this later, but it's a huge value of being involved in fellowship with each other. Because we're going to need accountability. Because I promise you, what's inside is going to come out. Because your heart leads to your mind, which leads to your behavior. So you can hide it in your heart for a little while, but if you really get to know someone, if you really get to experience accountability the way it's supposed to be, if that heart issue causes me to behave or speak, behave a certain way, it's awesome having someone look at you and say, dude, what is going on? What is happening in there? Because what's coming out doesn't match what you say you are as a Christ follower. That's good accountability, which is why the church comes together and fellowships together. So if you're not connected in small group, make sure to do that. So again, inner man, heart can be full of evil. Pay attention to that. Reflect on that. What's in there? I like how MacArthur, John MacArthur, I was reading a sermon of his the other day and he describes this sin issue in an interesting way. It's a little gross, but it's interesting. He uses uh, Lazarus as an example. Um, and Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus kind of moses his way on in there. <laughs> Mary, and Mar- Mary and Martha are like scrambling, like, come on, we asked you to come a long time ago, right? So he's been dead for four days in a tomb. Jesus says, roll the stone back, and Martha scoffs at him. And I'll go into King James because I like the word she uses. She says, four days? Surely by now he stinketh. <laughs> like, oh, I never used the word stinketh in a sermon before, so we'll go to King James and use it. Surely by now he stinketh. Jesus, what does Jesus say? Well, come out. Well, here comes hopping out Lazarus in mummy clothes, right? He hops himself out. The stench of death had to be on him. What Lazarus does, is, or what John MacArthur does, is paint the picture that it's a whole lot easier for Lazarus than it is for us. Because he can just unwrap. He can unwrap the stink. What MacArthur says is we don't get, get off that easy. He says we have a dead corpse strapped to our body. Now that's a little gross, right? But that's sin. We have this dead corpse strapped to our body. How often do we allow it to pull and control and drag us around where we don't want to go, which is what Paul was describing, right? Thankfully, the process we can go through of knowing Jesus more every day allows that, to, that power to d- diminish. The Puritans also talk about um, sin. 
So some of the Puritan writings of the 1600s. I was reading a, a Puritan named Venning, and I'm going to read some of his quotes out of some of his writing. I just want you to listen to the seriousness that they took sin. It cannot be, it cannot but be extremely useful to let men see what sin is, how prodigiously vile, how deadly mischievous, and therefore how monstrously ugly and odious a thing is called sin. Sin gives out false reports of God and goodness. Shall I not plead for God in your soul and entreat you to be on God's side and to depart from the tents of wickedness? Poor soul, can you find it in your heart to hug and embrace such a monster as this? Will you love that which hates God and which God hates? God forbid. Oh, look to yourself for sin, notwithstanding all its flattering pretenses, is against you and seeks nothing less than your ruin and damnation. Sin is the sin in the Christian is a civil self war, a self civil war. Getting tongue tied. It's from the sixteen hundreds. It's hard to read. Sin is the burden of every good man's soul. They took sin pretty serious. Right? They understood that this is a big deal. That the stench of sin is difficult to deal with. John Owen said it this way. He said, sin is not subdued when it is repressed. Push it down. Sin is not subdued when it is treated with indifference. Sin is not subdued when it is exchanged for what is conceived to be a lesser sin. Sin is only subdued when the conscience is silent and stops accusing. Now let's think about that for a second, because in a little bit we're going to get into the heart issue here, how the heart plays a role in this. When the, when the conscience stops accusing, it becomes silent. Now that can be dangerous, because it can go both ways, right? When we're convicted by the Spirit, our conscience is speaking to our inner man, saying, you got something to deal with here. Okay, that's a loud voice coming at us. If, that, if we were to be caught in sin and allow sin to take root in our inner man, and we just continue to walk in sin, the conscience voice is going to get quieter. Because we're going to be moving the wrong direction. As we read in Scripture, though, and as we become connected to God more, we become very convicted of sin like Paul was describing. Now, Paul later on, though, agrees with what John Owen said because he said to some false, false, there was false teachers accusing Paul of all kinds of maliciousness. And Paul looked at them and said, My conscience is silent. He can say that because he did nothing wrong. There was no sin that Paul had committed and therefore his conscience was not convicting him of anything these false teachers were accusing him of. His conscience was silent. So think about that. Reflect on that in your own life. Right? Your conscience is a voice that's going to convict you when you're moving the wrong direction, moving away from God and allowing sin to take root. Make sure to listen to that. So let's take a look. The heart. So we've talked about who we are. We've talked about sin being a big problem. Now let's take a look at where a lot of this stems from. Flip over to Luke 6. 
Luke 6, verse 45, says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you storing up in your heart? And kids, you got to listen to this too. Right? A lot of times you guys get into these sibling rivalries. You get into this looking at the other sibling prior to ever looking at yourself. Adults, we're not really all that different. Right? We treat sin with indifference. We make it lesser as long as the other person offended us more. Right? We don't respond back in true love. So the question is, what are you storing up in your heart? What's there? Bigger question is, what's influencing you to put it there? So once again, are you watching, sitting around in your room watching YouTube videos? That's influencing you. The movies you watch, the music you listen to, the people you hang out with influence us. Whatever comes in, in the inner man is going to sit there and it's going to come out. The overflow will come out and be seen. No matter how hard we try to hide it. So again, what's influencing you in your heart? Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. I love jumping all over Scripture because what I'm trying to paint here is that God tells a story. All of Scripture tells a story that connects together and allows us to really see a pattern of what He's trying to do. There's patterns all over Scripture. Hebrews 3.13. Let's start with 12, actually. See to it, brothers that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Are you being an encourager to other people? Are you being honest with other people, Christ followers that are in your circle of influence? Are you helping them deepen their relationship to Christ? Are you helping them by being honest about the things, the evidence that's overflowing from their heart? And again, honest assessment, right? It's part of our job, but it's also really good to be in a fellowship of believers that help us on that journey as well. Proverbs 4. Let's flip into the Old Testament. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Some wisdom. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart produces life one way or another. It's the wellspring of life. Are you guarding it? Are you guarding what is influence, influencing you? Do you actually stand guard? Now, I mean really stand guard and really dig in to what am I allowing in? 
we'll see in a little bit that it's also really cool that we have a guard who will care about what comes out. The next verse is wrong, so don't pay any attention to it. Instead of Psalms 44, well, pay attention to it. That really sounded bad. Pay attention to it. It's a good verse. But flip over to Romans 8.27 instead. John Young, I tell you, the guy loads this up. Fascinating. Full man of technology talent. And he gives Dave and I read-only access. Can't even make a change. I had to put that in there because he's going to listen to this later today. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 27. Ah, start in 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows our heart. He knits you together in your mother's womb. Right? You're not hiding anything from Him. So take sin serious. Take, in, take your heart seriously. It's not, a, it's not hidden. Let's look for an answer. Jesus is the answer, right? We all know that. We, we've been singing about it all day. We talk about it all the time. We read through Scripture. The whole story of Scripture is God taking us to His Son and getting us to know Him. Matthew 7 was, is one that really everybody I've ever talked to and knows me a little bit knows that that verse pounded me in the face. When I'm standing before Jesus... He doesn't look at me and say, on the judgment throne, right? He doesn't look at me and say, well, did you go to church enough? Did you read your Bible enough? Did you pray enough? Did you go to Sunday school? Did you, did you teach? That's not what he says. He says, do you know me? And I think all of Scripture points to that thing. Do we know him? And if you don't, here's what he says. Depart from me. That brought up a, a fear and trembling in me that was really helpful in my journey to sanctification, right? Do I know him? I don't ever want to stand there <laughs> in that spot and, and sit well and start coming at him with reason about how I know him, right? That question's hard enough as it is, let alone come up with an answer that's good enough. I just want to know him, and I want you to know him. So that when you're standing there in front of him, he says, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Right? That's the point of scripture. That's the story. He wants us to know his son and love people with that story as well. So let's look at a few verses with that. Joel. I just wanted to take you to Joel. It's, I mean, really, who... Somebody find Joel. I'd love to do that one as a sword fight, right? It's always a hard one to find. Amos, Obadiah, Old Testament, end of it. I love what it says in there, though. Joel 2. Verse 
Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Return to God. Turn your heart over to him. Rend your heart to him. Flip back a little further. Jeremiah 24. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. He will give us a heart to know him. We're not in this thing on our own. It's not like God wants you to fail. He's not sitting up there with the puppet strings and saying, ha, 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 watch this. He wants you to know who he is. He'll give you a heart to return to him. That's why I'm convinced that one of my favorite passages in Romans, as a science teacher, one of my favorite passages was Romans 1, where it talks about creation reveals his majesty so that men are without excuse, right? You can walk outside last night and look at the Perseid meteor shower and watch flaming star galaxy junk flying at your face and stand there in complete awe. You can drive over the mountain range in Colorado and realize how small you really are, right? Creation reveals his majesty, his glory, he wants you to know who he is. This is why it fascinates me when we find unreached people groups who have never seen humans before, other than themselves. They've never heard scripture. They've never had a Bible. But what do they all have? They all have something they're worshiping. Like you never go there and you, find, you don't find unreached people group atheists. They're worshiping something. Now usually it's misguided because what is it? It's usually the created. But don't you find that interesting? They're worshiping creation because it, it reveals something way bigger. And get it, I, we need to be there, right? Because we've got to tell them, there's somebody that made that. Imagine that. Imagine worshiping that. Right? James 4.8. We're getting close now. James 4.8. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Now, wash your hands, purify your hearts. Right? There's always an answer. There's always a solution, if we look for it. He tells us what to do. Back in Romans... Romans 12. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you transform your, how do you transform your mind? <laughs> doing what we've been doing today. That's it. Doing what we've been doing today. Fill it with God's truth. You want to transform your mind, fill your heart with God's truth, and watch what happens. Your heart starts taking over your mind. Okay, because Christ is now the center of your inner man. He starts controlling the thought processes. From there produces an overflow of Christ-like action. And you want to really learn Right? That's a secret to learning. I tell teachers this all the time. I'm a principal out in the middle school in Byron. We talk about learning all the time. You want to you get to deep levels of learning? Get kids doing something with it. Right? This idea of, of thinking that we can just sit here and hear something. So that's my encouragement to you today. What are you going to do about all this? So you're seeing a path. You're seeing a picture God's creating Okay, you're seeing the reason we do it all, what we need to deal with inside, and you're seeing a solution of getting yourself into God's Word more often. Well, we actually walk out of here as a church and do that. So flip over to Philippians 4. We'll use this passage to close out today. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have a guard. Right? You have someone standing sentry in your heart and your mind. He wants your heart. He wants you to know His Son. He wants you to be welcomed into eternity, glorified, and be in His presence forever. Being saved from the presence of sin. That's what God wants. He wants that for all of His people. And I find it interesting that God wants us to know Jesus by reading His Word. Just spend time in His Word. That's the answer. He even says it in John 17. John 17, 7 says this, that God would sanctify us by His truth. His Word is truth. You want to be set apart? You want to go through a sanctification journey? Be set apart by the Word of God. Fill your heart and your mind with truth so that sin... Sin's power becomes less. Let's be a church that spends time in God's Word so our hearts and minds can be transformed. The rest comes. The rest will come. We will go through the process of being saved from the power of sin and take on His righteousness until we stand before Him one day and take on His glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for time in your word. We jumped all over the place, but what's really cool is the Spirit of God 
allows us to put it all together. So God, my prayer today is that we would be a people who fall in love with your word, fall in love with your son, and that we become transformed in our heart and mind, and that that would produce action in us of loving God and loving people. That that love is shared with other people so that they too can experience the thing that we experience, which is relationship with the creator of the universe. So thank you again, God, for a time to worship you, to speak your truth. May we listen to it. May it sink into our hearts and minds and produce action. Because of Christ, we can even pray. Amen.